bestbookbits.com brings you the book summary on unreasonable success and how to achieve it. Unlocking the nine secrets of people who change the world by Richard Koch. How do people of seemingly ordinary talent go on to achieve unexpected results? What can we learn from them? What are the ingredients for unreasonable success and how it is achieved? In this groundbreaking book, best-selling author Richard Koch charts a map of success, identifying the nine key attitudes and strategies can propel anyone to new heights of accomplishment. The pattern of success is fractal. It is endlessly varied, but endlessly similar. Success does not require genius, consistency, all-round ability, a safe pair of hands, or even basic competence. If it did, most of the people in this book would not have impacted the world as they did. Who could have predicted that Nelson Mandela, a once obscure lawyer, could have averted disaster in South Africa? Reconciling people of different heritages to each other and establishing a viable democracy. Or that Helena Rubinstein, a young woman growing up in the grotty ghetto of Krakow, could have changed the face of beauty throughout the world. Or that the illegitimate son of a notary would become one of the world's greatest painters, known universally by his first name, Leonardo. Successful people typically don't plan their success. Successful people typically don't plan their success. Instead, they develop a unique philosophy or attitude that works for them. They stumble across strategies which are shortcuts to success and latch onto them. Events hand them opportunities they could not have anticipated. Often, their peers with equal or greater talents fail when they succeed. It is too easy to attribute success to inherent, unstoppable genius. With this book, you can embark on a journey towards a new, unreasonably successful future. The Importance of Self-Belief Kosh defines self-belief as defining self as special and important. I make comparisons here to self-worth. Kosh suggests that self-belief has an element of destiny to it. I regard this as self-efficacy. In other words, the belief in oneself to bring about a result. Lastly, Kosh mentions that self-belief will only flourish if it is tied to a specific goal. Why self-doubt actually supports self-belief. Kosh mentioned the importance of self-doubt as a precursor to self-belief. Specifically, it forms a complementary relationship with self-belief when its origins are born from either abandonment, isolation, or neglect. Richard uses the case of Steve Jobs in the book as an example. Steve was adopted, thus adopting the above three traits in the formative parts of his life. His life mission was a sense of control. The hardware and software that Steve and Apple output were viewed as a natural expression of this control. This is evident by the closed nature of the hardware and operating system. How to build self-belief when you think you ain't got none. Kosh refers to three specific chapters that will be summarized later. For now, here they are at a glance. Number one, transformation. Number two, significant achievement. And three, definition of one's trail. Kosh mentioned that self-belief can be born from hereditary, but usually from role models. He anecdotes that two of his mentors were mentors without really knowing about it. 
Interestingly, I can link this to the advice from Tony Robbins and base in your action on those people who've already walked the path. Having high expectations and their Olympian effect, the ceiling of your future is the most you can imagine and expect. Kosh's second landmark is Olympian expectations. He differentiates expectations from self-belief by suggesting that the former is results-driven where the latter is more visionary. Personally, I think of bundling the two into self-efficacy. The belief that you can bring about a result as alluded to in the self-belief section. Kosh tested out five themes in his analysis of highly successful people. These include, number one, setting higher expectations than the usual, intent. Number two, thinking big and not getting caught up with the details, creativity. Number three, be unreasonably demanding of self and of others, standards. And number four, progressive escalation of expectations over time, reflection. And five, expectations must be unique to the individual, autonomy. In the parenthesis of place some values and practices that I think these markers touch upon. Kosh made mention to the Pygmalion effect that was unearthed by researchers Robert Rostal and Lorian Jacobson. The study showed that teachers would subconsciously favor students, whom they were told to be smarter when explicitly told not to favor them. Two IQ tests were issued to the students with a time period between the two. Researchers compared the results and showed that students who performed well on the first test improved their performance on the next test. For the others, half improved while half declined. The kicker is that the researchers deceived the students as all the students scored around the same results on the first test. In other words, no achievers among that bunch. Fascinating. The takeaways is that high expectations lead to improved performance. High expectations lead to improved performance. At the end of the chapter, Kosh makes a thumbnail of high expectations. There seems to be some overlap between the five markers he tested out, but in the thumbnail, he mentions only four. These include experiment to generate success, experience success early on in life, possess extreme ambition, be unreasonably demanding, while discussing the people he analyzes, he refers to Jeff Bezos when talking about surrounding himself with others who have high expectations. We rise to the level of the expectations of the team. This also rings true when a team does not possess high expectations. A question that comes up for me is you can only succeed at the cost of being a good human through demanding unreasonable success of self and others. He refers to Steve Jobs and his cantankerous people managing strategy. I've also heard Tim Ferriss mention his difficulties with it on his podcast. Speaking to Tim, I've come across a quote that is in his Tools of Titans book that counters high expectations somewhat. I recall James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, alluding to the same idea. It's great to have high expectations, but high expectations alone aren't the answer. We fall to the level of our training. So the devil ends in the detail. The high expectations give us something to shoot for. The action we currently embody is our vehicle to get there. If you want to reach the level of your expectations, then you best base your action 
that's on that trajectory. If you don't, you will have a mismatch. High expectations in schooling. One of John Haiti's greatest effect sizes is to have high expectations of your students. You hear it that often it becomes almost a throwaway phrase. We all nod in agreement, but how does that actually play out? The big idea is high expectations, which appears to have some truth to it, but how to enact it. Habits and routines. What do you actually value and how are the people, acts and activities supporting the team and community on its mission to reach and accomplish these values? Transforming experiences that forever change your sense of destiny. This is the third landmark that Kosh shares with us. A transforming experience can be defined as one that alters one's mind and character. These experiences are unique to the individual. The commonality is that they have happened. The chapter of this book is heavy and the story element of his case studies. The one that resonated most with me was J.K. Rowling's Train Delay. In four hours, she received a download of the whole Harry Potter plot. A boy who doesn't know he's a wizard, yet is sent to wizarding school. Rowling's coming of age idea resonates strongly with my own journey, which is perhaps why it had such widespread success. We're all dormant wizards and witches in our own domains. Our path is to discover our personal journey and our magic and skills to contribute value to the world. As Kosh has alluded to, and as Rowling's does with Voldemort, this realization and contribution need not be ethical and moral as evidenced by references to Lenin and Hitler. Kosh suggests that one can initiate a transforming experience in three steps. Number one, deliberately engineer transforming experiences by choosing places and positions with the greatest opportunity to learn. In other words, move towards what challenges you to grow. Number two, search for major moments and events that fuel a sense of purpose or destiny. When one has become clear on their life's mission or values, and they rehearse this periodically, then your mind begins to attract itself to these events. And number three, become a different person as a result of the experience. Characteristics of a breakthrough achievement. Kosh goes on to analyze and discuss the significant achievements of all his players. He notes that all but three are innovators. The characteristics of a breakthrough achievement include, number one, nobody has done it before. Number two, why they left their mark on the world. Three, forms of invention. And four, highly personal. Kosh mentions that skills and experience don't matter with this landmark. What is more pressing is the resilience and determination to pursue your destiny. He categorizes this landmark as one that is the what, in other words, the artifact or thing that was left behind. The other landmarks describe the how behind the what. Make your own trail. The key traits of this landmark from the perspective of the author include, number one, high ambition. Set higher than normal goals. Two, Device and follow own trail. Think big and unique to individual. Three, increase focus over time. Progressive escalation of goals over time. And four, develop unique philosophy. Relates to unrelenting standards. Find and drive your personal vehicle to success. Kosh's sixth landmark speaks about the means through which we obtain our success.
In terms of the vehicles, there are two categories, pool vehicles and personal vehicles. I prefer to understand these two as external influences, pool vehicles, and internal artifacts, personal vehicles. External influences help get us going. They are what inspires us and form part of our research. The internal vehicle is what you end up outputting to the world. Kosh asks an important question at the end of the chapter, which is useful for the reader to consider. Are you obsessed with the need to create your personal success vehicle? Richard suggests an external influences are useful, but internal artifacts are indispensable. If one has not yet arrived at their internal artifact, Kosh suggests that the reader adopt or oppose an external influence. Importantly, Kosh mentions common vehicles within each of the categories his players perform. The one that resonated most with me is business. He mentioned the importance of collaboration in business setting, as they are fast changing and the founder needs to attract the best talent and collaborate with them in lieu of their blind spots and weaknesses. Finally, here's a thumbnail suggested at the end of the chapter. Number one, find your horse to ride. Number two, nothing big can happen without one or more great vehicles. Number three, a vehicle may be a movement, network, new position, etc. And number four, kick off by adopting or opposing an external influence. And five, find a personal vehicle and drive it to success. Thrive on setbacks. It is not enough to be resilient. One must feed on the prospect of challenge with resulting failure. That's the essence of Kosh's seventh landmark, thrive on setbacks. Kosh refers to Winston Churchill's numerous failures and disasters on the way to fulfilling his destiny on becoming Britain's Prime Minister and defeating Adolf Hitler. I find this so interesting. On the Tim Ferriss Show podcast, Tim will often ask his guest, who do they think of when they hear the word success? On more occasions than three, his guests have mentioned Winston Churchill. I wonder if their responses are due to his results or because of the adversity he overcame on the way to those results. Kosh suggests that a succession of massive failures appears to be the catalyst for great success. He references the oscillation of peaks and troughs where peaks are the successes and the troughs are failures. The deeper the trough, the higher the peak. Does it have to be this way? Why must we endure pain on the road to success? In any case, Kosh suggests a template to thrive on setbacks, which is as follows. Number one, take big risks. Number two, don't be dismayed if they don't work out. After all, it was a big risk. Number three, after the disaster, keep pressing on, but in a different gear. Number four, Reframe the disaster so you don't fault yourself. You were swimming upstream. What did you expect? Number five, correct course and immerse yourself into something different. Number six, setbacks are feedback devices. Seven, never give up hope. Trust in the future. Number eight, feed an intense sense of personal drama. You must do it for yourself and the world. And number nine, expect to succeed after failure. It's quite a controversial list that speaks to the intuitive nature of being human. The last point to mention is the term anti-fragile. 
This term speaks to the person who thrives on setbacks over pushing through adversity through perseverance. How to tap into your intuition. Before knowledge, there is hidden knowledge. In my opinion, this premise is the most juicy landmark that Kosh has offered yet. His seventh landmark is to acquire unique intuition. Intuition precedes rational and logical problem solving. It is what is apprehended without conscious thought. It can be thought of as a download or a radio broadcast. When it happens, you'd better be tuning into its frequency. Priming yourself so you are ready for this download isn't something Kosh mentions, though it can be done. In a nutshell, it's about seeding your mind with focus so your reticular activating system, the RSA, begins to filter in opportunity from the world. Kosh suggests that good intuition can only be a result of deep intimate knowledge in a field, but that's not to say that you can't make leaps of knowledge without the experience. It's just that the likelihood of success isn't as great as when you possess deep knowledge. Here are some characteristics of intuition that Kosh highlights. Important, this is groundbreaking, profundity, original and unproven, imaginative, simple, contradicts what experts say, think Einstein and general relatively challenging Newtonian physics. It is born out of a deep knowledge base. You are an integral part of its process, the star of the show. Further, Kosh mentions Churchill as an example of continuous intuition that is wrong. Interestingly, all these wrong experiences, some of which were dreadfully costly, led to Churchill's deep knowledge and the ultimate intuition of the need to defeat Hitler when everyone else never saw it that way. This seems to relate to the fourth landmark of breakthrough achievement. Keep knocking on the door and someone will answer. Lastly, Kosh leaves us with three considerations and guides for trusting our intuition. Trust it when you know the content backwards. This doesn't mean you need years of experience. You could have intensely studied something for a week. By the end of that week, you will still have some intimate knowledge understanding of that content. Thus, any intuitive apprehensions should be considered. Trust it when it points more to an unwanted outcome, overcoming fear, or rising to a challenge, rather than an outcome you desire. I guess this refers to eliminating your hope strategy. This one is a little more grey. Use intuition to extend your knowledge. I think of this as being the end of the boundary. This is the boundary of known knowledge. When you venture into the unknown, you have to make it up and back your intuition. You have integrated the deep knowledge that exists within the boundary and will intuitively utilize it to help with your boundary expansion. Distorted reality to redirect reality to your philosophy. The final landmark makes reference to Star Trek's reality distortion field. Its premise is simple. Possess extreme optimism and the belief that the impossible can be made possible. I can see links from this landmark to the Olympian expectations of having unrelenting standards of both yourself and your colleagues. Kosh uses Steve Jobs as a primary narrative when describing the ways in which he would distort reality. Jobs had a way of inspiring his followers to do things they thought were unimaginable. Jobs had been described as a bully. Kosh supports this claim but adds that he was a unique type of bully. 
He didn't bully those weaker than him. He taunted those more powerful to demand more from them. In order to successfully distort reality, one must possess buckets of self-belief. Now, that's a wrap on this book, Summary, Unreasonable Success, and How to Achieve It by Richard Koch. If you want this PDF summary, click the link below to download this. If you don't know who we are, we are Best Book Bits. We've done 800 book summaries on YouTube, Spotify, and the website, bestbookbits.com. Now, I have packaged together three important products. Number one is 450 of the Best Book Bits summaries, where you can get in one massive box set, 15 volumes, 7,500 pages. Don't spend 13 grand on books. Get this download now. Click the link below. Now, if you want to do one-on-one coaching with myself, I do a intense 28-day coaching program. So click the link below to check that out too. And if you want to make your 2022 the best year ever, I have a course for you as well. So check that out in the show notes below. Thanks for watching and listening. Hope you got something from this unreasonable success and how to achieve it by Richard Koch. Go out there. Have an amazing day. Take care. Bye-bye now.